I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class. I've never even put anything in a quilt show. But I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and I presume so are you. And today is Tuesday, October 5th, 2010, and welcome to episode 25, in which we consider symbols. I had fun researching this episode, so look forward to uh, being able to present to you everything out uh, that I found out about symbols. Today's episode, we are going to um, start with a interview with a quilter like the rest of us named Fran, and then we're going to have the content all about thimbles, and then after we finish talking about thimbles, be sure to listen to tune into the new quilt challenge I'm launching. Yep, I'm doing another one, um, but this one's a little bit different, so you're going to want to listen in and hear about this challenge that I have set up to help you. And then, of course, we'll do listener comments and a Sandy update. And let me just say, today is a good day to talk about quilting. Not that there's ever a bad day to talk about quilting, but today's a good day because it is dreary out. It has been raining all day. It's gray. It's a little bit on the cold side. Um, Kind of a typical fall day for here in western New York. Although I love fall. I am a fall girl. I just kind of like fall better when it's not dripping wet. But that being said, um, I'm going to brighten up my day a little bit about talking about my favorite topic. So the first thing we are going to do is start off by listening to my conversation with Fran. And here we go. My name is Fran Colby and I'm from Spencerport, New York. Okay. When did you first start quilting? It was probably in 1976 when they were doing the uh, centennial things and they asked people to do something traditional and uh, my aunt had just retired and we started our own little quilt group and it's just gone from there and <laughs> the same way quilting has gone bonkers we did too <laughs> did you were you self-taught to begin with or did you yes. take a class yeah. no we there were no classes that I knew of then and but since then classes are the most easiest way to learn mm-hmm. and it's absolutely the most fun. So you started taking classes after a while once they became yes. available? Probably around 1995 I started. I was getting ready to retire and keeping busy. Okay. Is there a particular style of quilting that you find yourself leaning more towards? I still like to do traditional. So traditional pieced block yeah. kind of things. You have a long arm, correct? Yes. At what point did you decide you wanted to go in that direction? Um, I don't know whatever possessed me. To do that. <laughs> um, I had some money when I retired, and I bought a used long arm, and I'm really enjoying it. But I don't do it for money. I just do it for fun. You do it yourself and yes. then occasionally do it to help out a friend? Right. And um, I discovered that it's, to me, it's not much fun when you're worried about the end result and whether or not somebody's going to really like it. So, mm-hmm. so getting paid for your work kind of takes all the joy right out of it for you. <laughs> it definitely does for yeah. me. But Tara has a wonderful time. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that just depends on personality and what yeah. your goal is. Yeah. I'm going to be doing an episode soon on colors. It could be by the time this is played, we will have already had that episode. But do you have particular colors that you tend to generate towards and you have to kind of force yourself to do something else once in a while? Yes, I, I still like blues and purples. Okay. Maroon. Is there any color that you had to kind of learn to love or grew to appreciate through? I'm still growing. <laughs> what colors do you tend not to use? Well, I don't use red and yellow, but I love blue and yellow when somebody else does it, but I still... You just don't tend to do it yourself. Um, Many of the listeners of my podcast are brand new quilters, only have been quilting for a few months or a year. What would you advise them? Uh, The first thing is to take a class and to learn how to square up. (laughs) 
I've heard that advice from a few people. You know, one thing I have discovered is I was taught, and there's all sorts of resources about how to square up a block, not so much on how to square up the whole quilt once it's done. And I think the premise is, well, if you've squared up along the way, you shouldn't have to square up your quilt. But I often have to square up my quilt. Do you have any advice or words of wisdom on how to actually square up a full quilt once it's done? Well, I think um, the rule is to measure across the middle mm -hmm. and use that measurement and make sure that it does not ripple or and, and make it square from the dimension across the middle. So basically, if you fold it in half and then just kind of line the sides up to match that middle yes. measurement, that sounds like something I need a little more room to do than what I have. <laughs> Is that, like, I think we can go down to the local quilt stop, shop sometimes and use... Yes, the, the one in Spencerport, you can go on a Friday and uh, use go for socialization and use their tables, and they have plenty of space. So you've got a little more room. I, I imagine a lot of quilt stores probably offer that. I think in so. Their space. Okay. Um, do you have any other words of wisdom you'd like to share? Any tips you've picked up along the way? Well, just have fun. <laughs> Thank you so much, Fran, for being with us on this episode. Um, now, how did I get talking about thimbles, or rather, how did I get thinking about thimbles that made me want to start talking about thimbles? Um, I actually never really gave thimbles much of a thought before. Partly, I'm not a hand quilter. I've mentioned that before, so thimbles only come into my life um, periodically. But that being said, I do still have a preference for which thimble I use for my periodic thimble use. On the other hand, when um, my mom passed away and we were going through all of the family effects, my mom, I think I've probably mentioned this before, um, my parents kind of became the repository for all archival items, all of the um, artifacts of our family extending back on both sides. So there was a fair amount of stuff to go through. But it was all of it just fascinating. You know, the, there was just so many wonderful documents and um, photographs and uh, jewelry and uh, china, etc., going back, you know, generations. Um, and one of the things I found was a collection of thimbles. And it, it wasn't, I shouldn't say a collection. It was Ziploc bags full of thimbles, um, collection only in the gathering them into one place uh, sense of the term. And some of them were marked as being from um, my grandmother on my dad's mother, my grandmother on my father's side. And some of them were marked as being from her mother, I believe, if I remember my family tree. So a great-grandmother. And then some were marked as being from my great-grandmother, potentially great-great-grandmother on my mom's side. So I now have um, family thimbles um, from both sides. Unfortunately, I did not think to grab one of my mom's thimbles. I don't have one of my mom's thimbles. I think one of my sisters did take one, but it just didn't really cross my mind in the amount of stuff we were sorting through. Um, but that being said, I am sure that in my own thimble uh, collection, I probably have some unintentionally purloined thimbles from my mother. So probably I do have one of my mom's thimbles that she didn't know I had at the time I had it. In any case, so I have this collection of thimbles and last summer it took me a while to get to the point of um, actually doing something with these thimbles and my BFF BQF Kate bought me at, um, she loves going to antique shops and estate sales and that kind of thing and she found, I believe she said it's a printer's drawer it's a wooden drawer with all sorts of different size slots in it that were used for printing presses to hold the letters um, in them and it makes just a perfect thimble display case it's not covered with glass so everything gets a little dusty I just ignore that you know <laughs> nobody else sees this thimble collection it's I have it hanging on the wall in my um, sewing room now over my cutting table and I have the thimbles artistically arranged uh, within there and I'll probably post a picture of that um, with this podcast episode but anyway as I started really looking at these thimbles I realized I didn't even know that for example thimbles were used for advertising and that kind of thing so it just sort of led me down this little bunny trail um, about thimbles and then the other 
piece of the um, conversation was that, you know, I've referred to my mom as the original gadget girl, and she really did have just a gazillion gadgets, both sewing type and kitchen type. And that's because she really did believe in having the right tool for the job. Uh, She just seemed to be on a perennial uh, search for what the right tool might be. But in any case, you know, my my recent experience with um, applique and wondering if I was using the wrong needle made me realize that, you know, sometimes it's the littlest thing. It's not that, you know, when I'm having problems with something, it's not always just that I'm incompetent. It's perhaps a different thimble or a different needle or a different thread would simply make things go a little bit more smoothly. Now, that being said, yeah, there are times I'm just being incompetent, but that's that's a topic for a different podcast altogether. Um, in any case, so today's episode is going to be about thimbles. And uh, we are going to talk first about the history of thimbles and a little bit about collecting thimbles. And then we're going to talk more about using thimbles for real. And I got a lot of input from some folks on that one. And then I'm also going to spend a little bit of time on how to find a thimble that fits. So lots of information today, and hopefully you are actually interested in thimbles. Um, If you're not, maybe I will make you interested in thimbles. And if that fails, you can just turn off the podcast and move on, (laughs) because, you know, it's going to be about thimbles. So here we go. Uh, First of all, I do need to... um, say that I got most of this information um, from two sources, both of which were on a website called articlesbase.com, articlesbase, B-A-S-E, dot com, and you can get articles written by a variety of people on a variety of topics. Um, it's it's kind of like a step up from Wikipedia. It's a little bit more in-depth, probably a lot fewer topics, but a little more in-depth on each topic, and um, generally speaking, you know the credentials of the person writing the article, so it's it's helpful. In any case, I got a lot of the information um, for at least several of these segments from articles I pulled off of that site. Now, first of all, the word thimble, supposedly, and all of this, again, I'm relying on other people, the, the word comes from Middle English, which means thumb shield, and the current pronunciation of thimble seems to come from um, when it was called a thumb bell, which does make sense. It kind of looks like a bell, and you can wear them on your thumbs, although people also wear them on index fingers, middle fingers. It sort of depends on what you're doing with them. The oldest existing thimble, and I found this actually on several sources, not just the articles on those in those two places. Um, the oldest existing thimble is Roman, and it was found in the ruins of Pompeii. But the Etruscans, who predate the Romans, the, the Etruscans were around oh, 900 BCE to 500 BCE or thereabouts. And there were some, uh, there's some evidence that Etruscans also used thimbles. And uh, there are suggestions, scholars, who say thimbles of bone and leather probably existed even before that, um, because as one writer said, they've been part of every known culture. So the lowly needle and thimble have been around for, um, you know, centuries. It kind of makes you want to show them a little more respect, doesn't it? (laughs) As Pigpen said in the Charlie Brown Christmas episode. In any case, early thimbles had to be really, really sturdy because at that point, fabric was a lot more coarse, a lot rougher and thicker. Um, It just took a whole lot more uh, chutzpah to push those needles through. And plus the needles themselves were, you know, rougher and not quite as sharp. They weren't as refined as they are now. So the thimble really had to work hard uh, to get that needle through the fabric. Um, Also, early thimbles were more dome-shaped than what they are now, the bell shape that we have now. Um, They didn't have a rim, and the dimples, the little you know divots there in each thimble, were applied by hand. So that's one of the ways that um, experts are able to actually date antique thimbles is when uh, the older ones, when those dimples are played, applied by hand, of course those dimples are not evenly spaced, they're not evenly deep, um, so you can tell they were done by hand, whereas later when manufacturing processes began to be involved, they became much more regularized regularized? Is that a word? Anyway, um, by the 1500s, fabric had gotten a little more finely woven, needlework was much more refined, production methods changed, um, so thimbles began being made from other materials, uh, most notably brass, and you started to see a lot of decorative thimbles showing up, and they also began being used at that point as a gift item. Once, you know, once they got pretty, <laughs> they became decent gifts, um, and in fact, Queen Elizabeth I commissioned a jewel-encrusted thimble as a gift. Now, 
that being said, I am not a thimble collector as such, so I hope my husband is not listening to this and getting any ideas. I'm not sure I really want a jewel-encrusted thimble as a gift. On the other hand, I suppose it depends on the jewels you put on it. In the 16th and 17th century, uh, there were a lot of changes in the life of the lowly thimble. In addition to the standard bronze ones that were around all over the place, um, you would also start seeing thimbles in silver and porcelain. The silver ones actually needed to have a reinforced iron top because silver is a softer metal and so the needles would just go right through it. Uh, so they would have reinforced iron tops and those thimbles have a particular name. They're known known as a Dorcas thimble and they are apparently highly collectible. The porcelain thimbles, even at the time, were considered more decorative than useful, um, probably for obvious reasons, but they were still used, uh, one scholar said these were still used when working on silk. Apparently, you know, they'd be a little more gentle with the silk so that they were, that was kind of their primary use. Then comes along the Victorian era. And Victorian era was from the late 1830s until 1901, which was, of course, during Queen Victoria's reign, hence Victorian era. Thimble collecting really took off at that point. Uh, the the kind of the benchmark for um, thimble collecting was the Great Exhibition in London, which was in 1851. And um, the Great Exhibition had a thimble created as a souvenir item, which apparently launched the whole concept of commemorative thimbles and advertising thimbles in general, and that was something which then kept on for decades after that. Um, Also in the Victorian era, a silver thimble was considered a quite appropriate gift, especially for a man to give a woman. If any of you have stories of, you know, silver thimble gifts, go ahead and lay them on us. Uh, Now, at that point also some other uses for thimbles... Um, were were used. These were a couple of other things. I found um, a two-ounce thimble, which is slightly larger than our normal thimble, was used to measure alcohol. And um, that gives rise to, this is a phrase I think I've only heard one person actually use once in my life, um, just a thimbleful, please. So that was kind of from that era when um, thimbles, you know, that was the early vision, version of what we now call a jigger. And then something called thimble knocking. And there were actually two explanations for this one. Um, Ladies of the evening would wear a thimble on their thumbs and tap on a window to discreetly announce their arrival. Okay, that was one scholar that I found that actually I saw that reference in a couple of places, but who knows if they weren't just copying off each other. Um, The other explanation for the phrase thimble knocking was Victorian schoolmistresses would wear a thimble on their thumb and then whap it on the heads of unruly students. Um, And I will need to remember that one with my own children or my dogs. Um, Maybe that would help keep my golden retriever settled in my office while I'm working during the day, but that's a whole other episode as well. Um, And of course, we are all well aware and quite fond of the thimble playing piece on the Monopoly game board. Um, oh, another little point of interest from the history of thimbles during World War I in England, silver thimbles were collected from donors and melted down to make hospital equipment. So they were useful on more in more ways than one. In the early years of American history, Thimbles were sometimes made from whalebone or whale teeth and decorated with scrimshaw. Yeah, sorry, scrimshaw. I can never say that word. Uh, not a lot of these survived, but you can find some of them in some New England museums. So if you haven't ever seen any and you're going to be in New England anytime soon, check out the museum, see if you can find one. So that was what I found about the history. Well, that was at least the more interesting stuff, in my opinion, that I found about the history of thimbles. Um, I found all sorts of information on who uh, manufactured the most when and all that kind of stuff. You know, different countries sort of had the uh, corner on the thimble market at different periods in history, but I decided not to include all of that level of detail. Um, So if you are really interested in collecting thimbles for something other than just uh, use, if you want to put them on shelves and and have them be pretty. Uh, It is a really big thing today. Um, There are collectors clubs. I found several websites devoted to thimble collecting. I even found out what you're called if you collect thimbles, if I can pronounce it. You are a digitabulist. Okay, pull that one out the next time you're playing a trivia game. Digitabulist is someone who collects thimbles. What kind of thimbles can you collect? Well, the, you know, door is wide open there. 
there's all sorts of types of thimbles that you can um, look into collecting. First of all, obviously, antique. And when it comes to any sort of antiques, make sure you know your stuff. There are often reproductions. There are people who will try to pull the wool over your eyes, so to speak, or the thimble over your head, I guess. Um, So make sure you kind of know what you're talking about. Obviously, in my case, I know I've got some documented antique thimbles here, and I am um, in the process of going back and forth on a website where you can send pictures and and get sort of a um, brief overview type of... um, appraisal it's not an official appraisal and unfortunately they wanted more information than what i I think i actually have on these thimbles so i kind of got stopped in the middle of that process but i plan on going back to it so you know if you've got some antique thimbles or if you want to collect some antique thimbles again you might want to check out the websites and see what you can find in terms of antiques how to tell antiques what types of periods there are and that kind of thing you can also collect commemorative thimbles These are thimbles that were created around a particular event, and you can look at that or you can choose a particular time period and collect any sort of commemorative thimbles from that time period um, or, you know, to a specific event or whatever. You can collect souvenir thimbles from travels. A lot of times when I've been in gift shops, I've seen souvenir thimbles, you know, with little logos from the city or whatever um, on them. So that would be a way you could maybe build a souvenir collection. You could also collect novelty thimbles. Uh, These are thimbles with characters or particular designs or whatever on them, like Disney or some other, you know, book characters or movie characters or whatever. Uh, You could also collect thimbles from a particular manufacturer. For example, Wedgwood has some thimbles that they have made in their collection. Um, And I did find, oh, um, I don't consider myself a thimble collector because the only ones I've got are these family thimbles. Uh, But boy, I found some really cute Wedgwood ones with Beatrix Potter characters painted on them. They were adorable. Um, So who knows? You know, I may see some thimbles appearing in my house (laughs) in the future, but not planning on doing that anytime soon. Uh, You could collect advertising thimbles. Some of the thimbles I have in my collection are advertising thimbles. Um, They have rims on them painted with, uh, one is an election campaign, one is for flower, I believe. I don't remember what they all are offhand. I'd have to double check them. But uh, advertisers use thimbles quite often, and so you could decide you wanted to collect advertising thimbles. They are kind of cool. You could also collect thimbles that were created in a particular country. As I was doing research on this, I found you know there was I think it was on eBay here's a thimble that was created in Poland uh, for example so there's any number of themes that you could follow while you collect your thimbles and I think well in my opinion you know some people just like to collect for the sake of collecting so they would collect any thimble they ran across Um, for me it would be kind of more fun in the hunt to actually narrow it down and say I'm only going to collect this particular type of thimble and then the fun is in you know finding running across them or seeking them out or whatever so anyway those are just some ideas Uh, if you have a thimble collection and want to um, post some comments about it to this episode that would be great and photos are always fun as well if you are a collector, if you think you might want to collect, there are just tons of websites. There are really too many for me to even list. Uh, just Google thimbles with whatever search term you want to use. For example, thimbles Poland or advertising thimbles or whatever. Um, I will say one very easy one to remember is thimblecollectors.com. Um, obviously, there was a lot of information on that site as well. That's just thimblecollectors.com. Uh, so you can check that out. So that's collecting thimbles. What about those of us who are actually really using thimbles for real? Um, I posted a question in Big Tent a few months ago now, because I really intended to do this episode back in June or July and just wasn't able to pull it off. Um, In any case, I posted the question in Big Ten about thimbles and to find out what people uh, wanted to share about thimbles, and I did get a fair number of responses, so I'm going to share some of those here. Um, Anna slash Lady Rags said, I hate thimbles, (laughs) but she has several. Um, She particularly named the Wonder Thimble, Wonder being W-apostrophe-N-D-E-R, Thimble, by Spiderworks. And you can find those at http colon slash slash quilterslittlehelper.com. The rest of the time I use whatever thimble I can find around the house because I swear they grow legs and walk, (laughs) says Lady Rags. Very true. Uh, Nana THP, or Nana THP, depending on what part of the country you're from, says, I love the open-sided metal, maybe brass, thimble from Clover. I got mine from Connecting Threads. It comes in small and is sort of adjustable. 
And then she says, um, did you ever play the game Thimble Thimble, Who's Got the Thimble? I remember sitting on the steps at my elementary school grammar school way back then, playing with my girlfriends, not really knowing what a thimble was. Now I know it's a tool that I couldn't hand quilt without. Diane from California says, wow, I've tried many types of thimbles, but I always come back to the same kind for all tasks. It's finger length soft leather with blue elastic over the knuckle area. When I begin to get holes in the leather from punctures, I rotate it on my finger. She wears it in the middle on her right hand. A really soft one is hard to find, though. I'm always on the hunt and have been known to take it out of the packaging to try on her finger. When it's useless as a thimble anymore, it's a great scissor point cover with a rubber band around for going to workshops, etc. Unfortunately, Nana did not mention... um, I'm sorry, I read up too far. Diane did not mention a brand name for that particular thimble. And if anybody recognizes it, or if Diane, if you want to check it to see what the brand name is and post it in a comment so other people can check it out, that would be fantastic. I didn't happen to run across anything that fit that particular description in my research. Patched Pastor says, My favorite right now is a sterling silver thimble that was given to me as a thank you gift for some work I did. It doesn't have the deepest dimples in the world, but it fits me well, and I like the memories associated with it. The most useful one is the brass-colored one, I think, made by Clover. It has good deep dimples, and it fits my finger well. I do a good bit of hand quilting, and both of these work for that. And I think Patch Pastor (laughs) hit the nail on the head when she says sometimes um, memories actually trump usefulness when you really like a particular thing. Uh, Denise in PA says, for hand quilting, I use my silver thimble by Roxanne. A big investment, but I love it, and I will pass it down. For general sewing, mostly hand sewing binding, if I feel the need for a thimble, I use those little round thimble pads that stick onto your finger. Love them. I hate to feel confined and they give me protection without having something stuck on my finger. For really difficult stuff, I use a thimble that wraps over and around your finger. I don't remember the name of it, but some type of tough fabric leather and has some Velcro on it. I even found DH, um, that's internet speak for dear husband, hunting for it one day when he was sewing something heavy. Firetone said, for hand quilting, I use the clover leather, sorry, the clover leather thimbles with the metal coin disc in them. I like the flexibility of leather more than metal, but the less expensive leather thimbles tend to stretch too easily. I tried the thimble pads, thinking that those would be ideal, but I reckoned without the slight allergy to adhesives that turns my skin raw when I use a Band-Aid. I couldn't figure out why my finger was getting sore until I remembered it. So that is something everybody to keep in mind on the adhesive kind of thing. If you've got allergies, those are going to um, irritate it. and sometimes just the, the friction of them can irritate them too. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm going to give my own review to various thimbles I've used a little bit later. Francis says, I have just started using thimbles and collecting them. Actually, the collecting came first. Last year, my mother-in-law was showing me her old sewing basket, and I was I was looking through it. I found a Duke's mayonnaise thimble. Well, Duke's is the mayo of the South, and I brazenly asked if I could have it. So that was thimble number one. My husband gave me several thimbles at Christmas he'd found on eBay, and I picked up a Supreme Court thimble when we were up in D.C. in March. I started using the Duke's thimble for real when I started hand-biting quilts. It really makes a difference. Um, This topic has reminded me that I am, in fact, a thimble collector, but I've been slack about collecting off to eBay. (laughs) So, Francis, let us know. Did you get anything after you posted that comment? Uh, P.H. Geiger, if I'm pronouncing your screen name right, says... I purchased the Roxanne thimble and did not like it after I'd used it for a while. I thought it was too heavy. Then I purchased a thimble from TJ Lane at the Paducah AQS show several years ago, and it has been my go-to thimble. The lady at the booth, she says was not TJ Lane, fitted the thimble to me, and it is so comfortable. It's also so pretty with a little B on the front. Now, I've mentioned my BFFBQF Kate before, and I sent her an email asking her um, particularly for her input on thimbles because she is, um, <laughs> I guess I'll call her, her a professional hand quilter. Uh, she does a lot of commission quilts, and she does a lot of um, hand quilting. So she you know, really uses thimbles. And I remembered having had a conversation with her um, a while back, actually, about thimbles because she was kind of going through that search trying to find a good one. Uh, so I sent her an email recently and said, hey, I'm going to do this episode. Tell me what you want to tell me about thimbles. And so here's what she says. Roxanne's thimbles have deep indents, and they seem to work well. 
Some claim that because it's open in the back, your finger doesn't sweat like it would in an enclosed thimble, but I can't recall having sweaty fingers in normal thimbles. It's a nice thimble, definitely heavyweight. I've not yet poked a hole in one of the indents as I did with another metal thimble. I also tried a blue rubber comfort thimble. It was supposed to be good if you had arthritic joints. It was very comfortable, but the trouble I had was that the eye of the needle eventually chewed into the rubber, then would get caught and cause the needle to become unthreaded. Same thing happened with another brand that was a metal thimble covered in rubber. It was great for enabling me to, to make small stitches, but eventually the eye of the needle worked its way through the rubber and would get snagged and become unthreaded. What I like about as well as my Roxanne is a thimble made by Colonial Needle that is all metal and has a ridge on the top. It's got a brass raised, raised edge that makes it durable. They make them for quilters who stitch from the side of the thimble and for those who push the needle from the top of the thimble. The trick is to get them in a size that fits. I have two sizes, one for skinny cold winter fingers and a second larger size for swollen summer fingers. And yes, I've also stood on my thimble to get a more oval shape that's more comfortable on my finger. Kate also mentioned um, using liquid bandage is a blessing until you form a callus unless you want to leave DNA all over the back of your quilt. Um, also, she says she loves finger cots because they make pulling the needle through so much easier. And you can get those at drugstores for a fraction of the price that you would find um, in other places. However, a trick to extending their life is to dust your finger with baby powder before putting them on. The oils in your skin seem to make the rubber break down and eventually rip. Powder slows down that process. So, um, my own take on thimbles, and mind you again, I'm not a hand quilter, so I'm not using one every day for hours at a time. I I just always shake my head whenever uh, Kate emails me and says, well, I just put a needle through another thimble <laughs> today. She, she just you know, quilts so frequently that she just does a number on her thimbles. In any case, um, my go-to thimble is just a standard thimble that has uh, the little ridge on the top. I think it's a Dritz, not positive. I know it's an inexpensive one, about two bucks, but I really love it. And for me, there's two big things. First of all, you know, I do, I wear mine on the middle finger of my uh, right hand, and I just use it to push the needle through when I'm doing um, bindings. But uh, I like having that little raised ridge around the outside of the top because that's what actually I kind of push it, you know, with that ridge. Um, that being said, this particular thimble also has, it doesn't have dimples. It's got like a grid. Um, it's sort of an embossed rectangles all the way around it. So it's got a lot of places that will really hold on to that needle. And I like that. Now, if I were doing a lot of hand quilting, I would probably have to mess around with a few different thimbles to see which one really works best. Plus, you know, different people wear thimbles on different fingers. You um, also, as my friend Kate said, it depends on whether you want to push from the side or from the top. I don't know that, you know, people talk about the quilt police. I haven't actually ever run into any quilt police. I don't know that they exist as much as people talk about them. But in in this case, I think I'm safe in saying there really is no right way to hold a thimble. You've got to mess around with different ways. If you're struggling with it in one position and maybe somebody taught you that position, try a different position. See if that works better. Okay, but back to thimbles themselves. I did, uh, tr I bought one once that had a magnetic top because that was supposed to hold the needle in place or something. The thing just drove me nuts because I would pull my thimble finger away and the needle would come with it and it's collecting needles on it every time it's in my sewing um, bin. It just, oh, it was driving me crazy. So I got rid of that one. I have also tried the adhesive pads that a couple of other people mentioned. I think they're by Sailor and they're called Thimble It, at least the ones I used. I like them for really short periods of time, like if I'm just doing some fast mending or whatever, but the needle tends to poke through it after a little bit. I mean, I didn't find if I was on a really tough, you know, sometimes you're suddenly going through extra seams or whatever, and you really got to kind of jam that needle through, um, that little adhesive pad just was not up to that task. So I will say that about those. I still have them in my sewing box. I still periodically slap one on my hand to use, but I don't really use them frequently. I have also tried uh, leather ones, just wasn't as keen on them. They didn't feel as good, you know, on my finger. But you know what this really tells us is you just have to try a lot of different ones to find ones you love or to find, you know, different ones for different types of sewing. Everybody is individual. Everybody's different. You know, it's it's like shoes. Somebody buys a pair of shoes, says, oh, these are the world's most comfortable shoes. You put them on your feet. They just don't 
work for you. Everybody's fingers are shaped differently. Uh, you hold your hand differently while you're sewing. Um, you have different strength. You know, if your hand is stronger, maybe you don't need as much protection with a, a, a thimble. Um, you know, it's just, it's very, very individual. So whenever you see a thimble, try it. Just try it. And you may find that there's one that just makes a particular job a lot easier. Um, by the way, one resource said, don't even bother trying to just wrap your finger in tape or foam. Needles poke through that really quickly. So that was just a, another person's um, suggestion. I can't imagine wrapping my finger in tape. Anyway, how to find a thimble that fits. Okay, so I found uh, another article I found was a step-by-step guide to finding a thimble that fits. And so I then just adapted it with what I've learned over the years. Um, First of all, if a thimble is too small, your finger is going to scream at you in about five minutes. Um, If it's too big, it's just getting in your way. Or if it's flying off your finger at the wrong time, that kind of thing. A thimble that really fits well should just sort of disappear. You know, you should kind of forget you've even got the thing on. Um, Yeah, I mean, admittedly, I've poked myself in the eye with my thimble finger (laughs) because I forgot I was wearing a thimble at the time. But that shows how well that particular thimble fits. Now, um, quote, thimbles vary in whether they are open or closed at the top. The material they are made from, the number and size of indentations they have, and the diameter of the thimble. You should consider all four to get a thimble that fits you correctly. So yeah, it's not just a matter of going out and buy the cheapest thimble and assuming if it's uncomfortable, that's just because thimbles are meant to be uncomfortable. There's a lot of things to take into consideration. Do you want one that's open or closed? Um, The biggest issue with this, probably do you have nice fingernails? (laughs) I do not have nice long fingernails. Um, I don't even have nice nails. So the closed top thimble is just fine for me. If you've got nice long fingernails, you're probably going to want to go for an open one. But even with that, there's a couple of guides. Again, one resource said, an open thimble that doesn't have a top, the end of your finger should just touch the inside top of the thimble. Um, The fingernail should not contact the nail guard. Okay, so there should be some breathing room there. Let's look at the material they are made from. Some of this is going to be just personal preference and how well they will stand up to the type of um, sewing you do. So if you're finding yourself consistently having to buy new thimbles because you keep popping through it, get a different kind of thimble. Look for one that's made with a different type of material. Also, uh, the number and size of indentations they have. Like I said, with my favorite thimble, it's not just the indentations, it's also the ridge around the top. Um, But that will also uh, help you. You've got to test, you know, are you somebody that goes from the side? Are you somebody that pushes from the top? So you need to kind of get used to what your style is to know where you're going to be looking for most of those um, dimples to be and how deep you need them to be. Let's see. There is no real standard sizing for thimbles. So when you're looking at the diameter of the thimble, uh, so it's not like you can go out and say, oh, I wear wear a size 8. You know, it doesn't work that way. Um, You need to uh, actually try them on if you can. If they're, you know, sealed into a package, usually the ones that come sealed in a package actually have like a little hole in there that you can stick your finger in. But that would be hard to tell because you're not going to get a sense of the length either. Um, But usually the ones sealed in packages are also the cheap ones. So it's, you know, worth popping your two bucks and seeing if that's the one that'll work for you. Another thing to check is the thimble shouldn't just be able to drop off your fingers when you hand your when you hold your uh, hand down at your side. So um, do make sure it's not too tight, but it also shouldn't be too loose. Uh, one note said, by the way, back to the number and size of the indentations on the thimble, the more indentations there are, the more control you'll generally have. Again, so that makes sense. You've got more places you can hold that needle steady on that thimble. So again, when you're looking for a thimble that fits, you're going to look for, is it an open or closed one at the top? You know, which way are you going to want to go? You want to look at the material they're made from. Do you want something with a little more flexibility or do you want something with a little more strength? Uh, You're going to want to look at what type of indentations it has, um, whether it's something that's, (laughs) I keep thinking of it as a top loader or a side loader. That's not a thimble phrase. That's a washing machine (laughs) phrase. But is it something you will push more from the top or from the side? And then, you know, does it actually just sit on your finger comfortably without squeezing it like a boa constrictor? So those are some things to consider when you're looking for thimbles. So all of this episode is to say, um, you got to try a lot of thimbles. 
Um, don't just assume, you know, that, that one standard $2 thimble, that works great for me. It may not work great for you. That's the one I think most of us are probably introduced to right off the top. But go ahead and try out some other thimbles. Ask people at your guild. Ask your friends. What thimbles do you like? See if you can try theirs out. Although, keep in mind, again, theirs won't necessarily fit you. And particularly, one would assume the leather thimbles would probably be a lot like leather shoes, that eventually, if you use that for a while, it'll take on the shape of that person's finger, so it'll just never feel right to you if you're trying their thimble. Um, But do, you know, just experience a wide variety of them and see which one really works for you best. And again, you might use different thimbles for different purposes. You just, that's something that only time will tell. You know, some things you will be able to learn right off as a quilter, as a new quilter, other things you kind of grow into. And also, you know, my friend Kate mentioned she has one set of thimbles she uses in the winter when her hands are cold and tend to be smaller, and another one in the summer when they tend to get a little more swollen with the heat. Um, as you age, your your fingers may change sizes, or you might end up with some sensitivities that you don't have when you're younger. So, you know, thimbles are a little more of a unique and personalized item than maybe we all originally thought they might be. So hopefully this episode gave you a little bit of information, maybe a little bit of inspiration to um, collect or to learn more about the history of thimbles or to go out and try some new ones. Okay, uh, that's it for content. Now we're going to be talking about woohoo, the new challenge. Now, if you're a member of the Quiltcast Supergroup, uh, big, uh, the Quilting for the Rest of Us subgroup of the Quiltcast Supergroup, you know, I had posted a poll a few weeks ago asking if people were ready to do another creativity challenge or if they wanted to hold off a little bit. And I got a lot of people either emailed me or just left comments saying, you know, they love the idea of doing a challenge, but they were concerned about how busy they were going to be during the holiday gift giving season. So that led me to decide to do a challenge but it's going to be a different kind of challenge. I am issuing a holiday gift challenge. I'm going to help motivate you to not only get your gifts done, but to maybe even get them done a little early. We're all guilty of leaving things until the last minute, spending the last night before our holiday gift exchange begins at our sewing machines until the wee hours of the morning. So maybe I can help spur things along a little bit. So here's the challenge. Everybody who finishes at least three of their planned holiday gifts by December 15th will get their name entered in a drawing for a fabric prize. So by finishing your gifts, you have a chance at getting a gift. Isn't that fun? So, again, don't worry. You know, I guess that you could suddenly decide to do at least three holiday gifts that you hadn't originally planned on doing. But the idea here is... Whatever you're already planning on doing, I'm just motivating you to get it done and to get it done by December 15th. Now, I know Hanukkah is earlier in December this year. I believe it's the first week and a half-ish of December. So those of you who may be preparing Hanukkah-related items, uh, maybe you set yourself a deadline of December 1st and send me your picture before then. Hey, I am flexible. Either way, I will be doing a drawing on December 16th or, you know, technically after midnight on December 15th, of anybody who has sent me photos um, of your three items. So, again, anybody who finishes at least three of your planned holiday gifts by December 15th, you have to send me either an email um, with pictures of your three completed projects, Or if they are things that you don't worry about people seeing publicly, uh, you can post them to our Flickr group or to your blog and just send me the link uh, or notice that they are up there. But if you want to keep them private, um, if you're worried that somebody might see them, then just send me a picture of them um, and I will mark it as done. And I will not share the photo if you tell me don't share this photo. Uh, And then again, just send me the photo of the three Uh, completed holiday gifts and your name will get entered in a drawing and I will do that drawing um, after midnight December 15th which actually means sometime during the day on December 16th so again you don't have to start anything new I'm just motivating you to get done what you already want to get done Um, if you think you're going to join this holiday challenge just shoot me an email early so I know that at least somebody out there might be doing it so it's helpful for me to have an idea of what I'm going to be watching for 
So have fun with that. Um, a few listener comments. Uh, let's see. Mary Jo sent me an email um, with some questions that I then encouraged her to post in Big Tent, which I believe I saw that she did. So make sure you head to the Quilting for the Rest of Us group in Big Tent to help Mary Jo figure out how to deal with a sticky wicket around signature quilts. And my response to her is, that's exactly why I don't do signature quilts. But anyway, she's got some questions, so she would really love your wisdom there. Echo Quilter sent me pictures of her stepping stone blocks that are now pieced together into whole quilt tops. I don't know if you recall me mentioning this before, and I think I did post the photos that she had sent me the first time. Um, She had originally sent pictures of individual blocks um, on these stepping stone blocks uh, shortly after I did my episode on value, because these blocks that she did were part of this overall kind of learning process she was doing on value in quilt making. Um, and so now she's got them pieced together in different tops. I think there's five of them. Am I right, Echo? <laughs> I think that was right. Um, in any case, it was really cool to see, you know, the same quilt block used in a variety of ways, you know, completely different looking quilts. So um, I'm going to ask Echo Quilter, are you able to post those to our Flickr group? Or if not, do you want me to do that? Just shoot me an email and let me know. That'll be helpful. And Colleen emailed me um, about my vertigo uh, and uh, mentioned also the exercises that, yes, my uh, doctor had given me um, this, you know, handout with a little drawing about these exercises I could do. And I'm just being a chicken. I just don't want to do them because they make me nauseous. And (laughs) I don't generally choose to do activities which will make me nauseous. I don't go on rides and amusement parks that make me nauseous. So I'm just being a little bit of a chicken. Fortunately, the vertigo is... um, Either the vertigo is getting better or I'm just getting a lot better at compensating for it. Um, I don't have quite as many hairy moments as I did before, so that's always a good thing. But thank you for the advice, Colleen, and mostly thank you for the emotional support. All right, a few comments on the last episode. Debbie, who um, I read her post about her daughter's quilt, which I still am entertained by it. Um, Debbie says, only a quilter can understand the joys and sorrows of stitching those little pieces of fabric. Um, and she is working on designing a quilt for her granddaughter now. Um, she she says, I never learn. My ambition always outstrips my ability. So thank you, Debbie, for uh, providing some material for my podcast episodes. I always appreciate that. Anna says, I enjoyed your interview with Pat, maybe because I agreed everything she said about the Underground Railroad quilts. Um, she also, Anna has also been collecting Barbara Brackman's books. Um, she really enjoys her. Uh, let's see, Anna also says, I agree with Pat about her sentiments about Dear Jane or Pioneers wanting to use a machine to, sh- to sew. I also go further, which gets me in trouble with my Dear Jane group in in saying if Dear Jane could buy the pretty material of today, she would be using brights and batiks instead of muddy colors. And that's quite possibly true, Anna. Thank you. Um, I had done a blog entry on my regular blog, not on the show notes blog, um, about my use of Marty Michelle's log cabin rulers. And I had also done a test on pressing seams open rather than pressing them to one side or another. And um, I would suggest you go and if you're interested in either of those topics, go check out the blog. You can find a link to it from um, the show notes of this, uh, uh, my show notes page. And um, Jen commented that she enjoyed the review of the log cabin rulers um and she also likes my dog which is always good i always like people who like my dog uh denise in pennsylvania says um she has also had vertigo from time to time she says i was sitting in a meeting a few weeks ago turned my head and thought i was going to fall off my chair and yeah i know what that feels like and unfortunately people just look at you funny when that happens Denise also said she bought a log cabin ruler last year at a quilt show and has yet to use it. She only presses seams open if bulk will be a problem, not as a general rule, but always on the binding like I do. Uh, Let's see. Jean, or Jeannie, or Jeanne. Um, I grew up with somebody, my best friend at church was named Jeannie, J-E-A-N-N-E, spelled the same way, and so I'm used to calling her Jeannie. Um, I don't know if that's how you pronounce your name. I'm sorry. Uh, She says she makes a lot of log cabin quilts and has been curious about these rulers, so she appreciates the review. She thinks she will do without, and I I hope I'm not losing people's sales. Again, you know, you just got to try something. Maybe for somebody else, they would love it. However, Jean impressed me because she has an Excel spreadsheet that helps her calculate the size of different uh, blocks that she'll need for log cabins, depending on the size of the finished blocks. So that's pretty cool. Jean also says she has been trying out the idea of pressing her seams open. She does like the way it looks sometimes. It does make for a very flat quilt top, um, but sometimes being able to nest seams is more important. 
And she says, I would never press seams open on a log cabin, as I think the slight ridge you get when pressing the seams to one side adds a textural quality that is part of the charm of that construction design. And you know what? You're absolutely right. When I look at the quilt, thinking about what you said, that is very true. That's kind of missing now. Um, So it gives me a good excuse not to ever do that again. (laughs) Um, And uh, Anna also posted on that and um, asks... If the more I used the ruler, the easier or better it would be to use. She always finds it takes her a while to get the hang of new equipment. And that's definitely true. I mean, especially I made a comment about the awkwardness of the position of holding it um, in order to cut on one part of the process. Uh, and that's probably something eventually you'd, you'd get the hang of more easily. And Anna also left some comments about where she presses seams open versus where she does not. Um, And Mary Sarah said she's never tried to press quilt seams open, and she doesn't think she'd have the patience for it. Um, And she also really enjoyed uh, my interview with Pat. And then a couple of people, Mary Sarah, um, Anna, and I think one other person contacted me after I sent out the last newsletter, which had some book reviews in it. I've spent all their money, which always makes me feel good. (laughs) So, um, you know, I guess read the newsletter with a fair warning that I like to try to spend your money. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry, Lynn also says, I agree with you about pressing seams open. I prefer my seams to nest so that corners match, and it takes me longer, too. The general consensus of the comments was pressing seams open okay in some instances, but not necessarily all the time, which was about where I got to after I'd tried it. Okay, I got a new entry in the You Know Your Quilter When. Sherry says, You Know Your Quilter When Even Cleaning Your Sewing Room Is Fun. And I agree, Sherry. I just spent a little bit of time last night doing that, and it always feels so good. Partly, as soon as it's clean, you just have all these possibilities of messing it up again, and that makes it fun to think about. When it comes to the Sandy update, once again, not a whole lot. I just started feeling well enough to be back at my sewing and around sharp objects a couple of days ago. Um, I do like to report that my uh, square and a square quill is finally, yes, totally, completely, officially done. I got the label put on that a couple of days ago, so that is now done, 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 done. Um, don't really know what I'm going to do with it, but it's done, <laughs> and that's what really counts. Um, I am now moved on to uh, back to another UFO and am working on a uh, triple rail on point wall hanging that I made at a quilt retreat. I think I might have mentioned this at the last in my last episode. I made it at a quilt retreat in um, 2008, and it got sidelined um, by my mother's illness and, and passing away, and then me finishing up all her UFOs. Uh, this was one I really did want to get done because I really want it hanging in my house. So uh, that's my next one uh, tonight. I spent a little time choosing my quilt design for it. Now I know what I'm going to do. I've found uh, backing fabric in my stash and uh, just have to get that put together and maybe some quilting started on it. Unfortunately, don't think I'm going to get to that this week because, again, I've got one more evening home before I go out of town for a few days, so that probably won't happen until next week or the week after, but at least I made a little bit of progress. So that's pretty much it on the Sandy Update front. So thank you to everybody who is listening. Thank you to everybody who is sending comments because, like I always say, to me, this is a conversation, so I like people to talk back to me. Um, thank you to everybody subscribing to the newsletter. The next one will be out in a couple more weeks. And um, thank you. I haven't checked iTunes lately. I should check uh, to see whether there are new comments or reviews being posted up in iTunes, but I appreciate all of you who have. So thanks to everybody, and keep the comments going. I enjoy hearing them. Um, I'm posting this episode a hair early because I'm going out of town on business again. I'm hoping to get an episode out next week, but I can't guarantee I will because I'm actually only home two days, and then I go out of town. Although that time, for fun, it's my husband and my anniversary, and we always go away for the weekend. So um, next week is a very short week for me, so don't be surprised if you don't hear from me. Meanwhile, don't forget to sign up for the newsletter and to join the Big Tent Quiltcast Supergroup and then the Quilting for the Rest of Us subgroup. Join our Flickr group for Quilting for the Rest of Us, um, and you will find links to all of that at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. Most especially, don't forget about the challenge. If you are busily sewing holiday gifts, you might as well get some benefit out of it yourself, other than the pure joy of creativity. Uh, So join the challenge, let me know if you're going to do it, and then make sure you get me photos of your at least three completed projects by December 15th, and your name will be entered in the drawing. So thanks a lot for joining me for this episode. Hopefully, I'll talk to you again next week, if not then, two weeks. And meanwhile, go get your quilty on. 
Parenting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom.